our um, our New Testament lesson today is another parable. It comes from the Gospel of Luke. We did not intend it this way, but many of our uh, parables during our summer series have come from the same Gospel, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we are in chapter 16, chapter 16 today, and I invite you to turn there in your Bibles, uh, on your phones. Um, I'm gonna, we're gonna set a little bit of context today for our, the exact story. Let me just remind you that, um, that we read in, for two weeks, we read in Luke chapter 15, the stories of God's heart. His heart for the lost, the least, and the last, and, and we saw that, um, He is like a shepherd who, when one of His sheep wanders, He leaves the 99 to go out after them. We saw that he's like a woman who loses one of her ten coins and 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 stops everything and searches until she finds it. And like the shepherd, she calls all her friends and says, Rejoice with me, for that which was lost has been found. Now we're in chapter 16, after finding our lost sheep, after finding the lost coin, after finding our lost child. And and Jesus continues. Uh, with even more uh, strength to to speak to us truths and words of life. We're not going to look at it today, but you see at the beginning of chapter 16, there's a very enigmatic uh, parable about a man who is uh, fired from his job for malfeasance and and then cleverly uh, uses his master's money to to prepare his own nest. And in this strange twist, Jesus says, um, almost honors this, but, and says, the man is very clever, right? Oh, that, that the people of God would be as clever with their spiritual resources as this man was with his earthly ones. But right after that, that's where we're going to pick this up. Right after this comes truth after truth after truth, staccato, almost machine gun, truth um, that Jesus wants to impart to us today. They're going to come by really fast. I invite you to uh, open your heart and mind to the Holy Spirit's prompting as we share his scripture today. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Now Jesus is speaking. The parable is over. Jesus says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little, is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful with, excuse me, faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will be, who will entrust to you the true riches? I said that wrong. I knew that my, my brain's saying, you said that wrong. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And similarly, if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, Who will give you that which is your own? Wow. He is not pulling punches. No servant, he continues, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Who are these masters that Jesus is speaking of? He says it next. You cannot serve God and uh, Aramaic term mammon, um, simply money, but much more than that, possessions, things. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, 
heard all these things, verse 14, and they, it says ridiculed him here, but that would imply a verbal comment. The actual thing that they did was stuck their noses in the air. The, the, the Hebrew there, or excuse me, the Greek is talking about sticking your nose up in the air. Now, if I could pause for just a second, everybody left me back here. I was looking for reinforcements back there, and they're all gone. But um, when we were coming out of the mountains, um, we had been backpacking for uh, four days. We had been showerless for longer. And um, and there's a strange phenomenon that happens in the in the wilderness that is, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a God-given thing, and, and backpackers correct me, but when everybody stinks, nobody stinks. It's strange. I cannot. I cannot explain it. When everybody stinks, then 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 you don't notice it, right? And and we didn't notice it for days. We noticed ourselves a few times. It was pretty rank, especially when we crawled in that sleeping bag. Woo, a little nasty. But but um, when you're with one another, it never occurred to us. Man, you stink. It never it never occurred to me. Maybe everyone else was thinking that thought. Here's the problem: at some point, you come back into civilization, right? At some point, you get back near the day hikers. Now, I say that with with disdain, right? I'm sticking my nose in the air, right? When you've climbed 12 passes, you've been hiking for five days, You, you um, there's a little bit of self-righteousness and pride, and all of a sudden, a day hiker comes by, right? But here's the deal. A day hiker goes by, and you go, Wow, that smells so good. And, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that they weren't overdoing it. Not naming names, ladies, like some of us are prone to do in a worship service. They weren't overdoing it with a perfume, right? It was just normal, clean. You could palpably smell it, right? And that is such a beautiful thing. We're all going, wow, that is totally cool. And then there's a second thought. If we can smell their clean, yeah. So why did they stick their noses in the air? They were doing it for survival, Right? They're trying to catch a breath of fresh air, but we could probably feel when someone walked by and said, I don't know what rock you guys crawled up out from under, but go back there, right? Go back there. By the way, the worst part was that a bus, we had to take a bus eight miles up to the trailhead, and the bus could carry 30 people, and they put all 10 of us on the same bus, right? I know. And many of us were sitting in the front where the wind would waft back toward those in the back. It's a miracle that people survived. It's amazing. The, the, the Pharisees who loved money didn't physically or, or, or verbally say something to them. But it was as palpable as on the one hand a clean person going by ten dirty ones or one dirty one going by ten clean ones. It was that palpable, right? The story continues. Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. Boy, don't miss that. Justify yourselves, right? But, Christian would say, but God knows your hearts. Would you say that with me? God knows your hearts. That's going to be really important for us today. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Be very careful who or what you lift up, beloved. Right? Be very careful. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. 
The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. And he tells a story. There's another scripture in there, but it's he's picking up a different line there. He tells another story right here. That's our parable for today. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. I'm I'm so struck by all the insight that that one verse has, but we got to keep moving. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus means one whom God comforts, right? Isn't that ironic? At his gate, so he has not just a door, but he apparently has a yard and then a gate, right? So there's another sign of his wealth. At his gate was laid, somebody else brought this poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. By the way, this is not the same Lazarus that we know from Jesus raising him from the dead. Although their names are the same, they're two different men. Lazarus desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, that's a Greek word for Sheol or hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off with Lazarus at his side. And he called out, the rich man called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Even in hell, he's still living like he did on earth. Isn't that interesting? Sorry for the little extra addition there. But Abraham said, child, Remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is not fed, not not watered, not healed. Now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So the rich man says, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house. For I have, and this is a parable. Jesus is designing this story. He designs this story so that there are six brothers, right? I have five other brothers, six brothers. What do we learn in Revelation about the number six? It's the number of perfection, of incompleteness, even in many contexts is evil, right? It's the number of incompleteness. It's not done yet. That's why the seventh day was so important. If you work six days and never have Sabbath, your life is incomplete, right? You're incomplete. I had five brothers. There's six of them. It's begging the question, who is the seventh brother? Who would bring completeness to this family, right? Are you catching it? Yeah, he's right there at his gate. He's right there at his gate. But Abraham said, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. That's their Bible. That's the Old Testament. 
Let them hear them. And look at this. The rich man in hell is rebuking Abraham in heaven. No, Father Abraham. No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now notice that he's seen Lazarus raised from the dead. He's seen Lazarus at Abraham's bosom. He's seen the resurrection and he's not repenting. But he still rebukes Abraham. And Abraham comes back to him and says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Of course, Jesus is foretelling his own future, isn't he? The very word of God. Wow, wow. Oh, my goodness. Again, early on in our study, we, we recognize that parables seem simple, but uh, are amazingly Complex. At the very end, uh, beginning of our time together, I invited you to to see these stories as something that matters. It's one of Jesus' ways of, of proclaiming truth, right? But I challenge you beyond that to find your place in this story too. Jesus is speaking to us as much as he's speaking. Uh, later tradition gave the, the name dives to this rich man just because that means rich in, in Latin. He, they gave them the name dives. Just as the story was powerful for him, so it's, it's powerful for us. Why? Because stories reveal things, right? So as we've seen, stories reveal the nature of God's heart. He has a heart to seek the last, the least, and the lost, right? Parables, stories reveal the very heart of God. Luke 15 is such an amazing example of that. But as we've seen since then, also, stories also reveal the nature of our hearts. Do you remember our study of Luke 8? Kristen shared with us the parable of the soils. And and we were challenged, what kind of heart do you have? Stories reveal the nature of our hearts, of your heart as well. But over the last couple of weeks, we've seen another purpose in the stories, right? Not only do they reveal the nature of God's heart and our heart, but they also reveal to us the greatest threat to our hearts. Luke, Luke 12, the rich fool, right? Luke 16, the dishonest manager, right? And today, the rich man and Lazarus. Stories reveal things. But stories also contain powerful statements powerful statements about different things. In my notes, I just made myself PSA, not public service announcement, but powerful statements about, right? What do they, what do they tell us about? What powerful statements do they make? They make powerful statements about wealth. And if you would, uh, today, let me add uh, another dimension of this, uh, a new term for us, unrighteous wealth. And by that very descriptive term, by that adjective added to the term wealth, which we're used to thinking about, uh, we're told then that there is a righteous wealth and there is an unrighteous wealth, right? What is the unrighteous wealth? I'm going to have to dig myself out here because I'm putting myself in a hole. One of the things that scripture, at least in the story, is telling us that is an unrighteous wealth is money, right? And as well, Paul would tell us in Timothy, not just money, but the love of money, right? The love of money. And, and 
Jesus puts it so starkly here. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I shared with you before that I've gone online just to see. Um, I think I'm somewhere pretty much in the middle income of certainly Evansville. Um, um, but oh my goodness. If I just put it in as a single person's wealth, my income for a single person puts me in the 99th percentile of the world. You're thinking, we need to pay that man less, right? Um, no, no. We are so blessed. We're so blessed. But as we saw last week, there comes an accounting for blessings, right? Well, I was feeling pretty guilty, so I stuck Karen in there. Two of us on one income, right? Two of us. How are we doing then? Well, I'm still in the 97th percentile of all the world. I stuck Maddie in there. She's got a job now. She's almost, you know, she's almost completely into adulthood, but I needed help. I'm trying to find some way to assuage my, my conviction, right? And, and so I stuck Maddie in there. It didn't, didn't help. Still at slightly less than 97th percentile. So, so Jesus' words about money to us in the United States at this time are very, very important, right? But unrighteous wealth just isn't about money. It's also, we find here in the story about self-justification, right? About trying to become righteous, trying to prove our righteousness to God and to other people, ourselves. You are those, Jesus said, who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. Would you say that with me again? God knows your hearts. You see the foolishness of depending on, on something temporary that you cannot take with you for, for your security. Do you see the foolishness of depending on your own self-justification? Jesus is pulling no punches. He's, he's speaking to us powerful statements. Unless we miss it, he adds one more dimension there of unrighteous wealth. Also in verse 15, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Be very, very careful what you exalt, right? And if you've struggled whenever you go online or whenever a commercial comes on TV or just the pure content of your favorite show, right? When you've, if you struggled with what is exalted in that show, understand, uh, with our imperfect holiness, um, it's a small fraction of the abomination that that is to God. Let me put that differently. I don't want to. I don't want to diminish the word abomination because we need to hear that. But but the, my path to understanding the heart of God has been to ask the question: What breaks the heart of God? Why are we celebrating the very things and lifting up and exalting the very things that dishonor God? Right? Wow! Wow! Thanks for going deep with me today. I, I, truth is important, amen? And we've got to speak it to one another. 
So these stories have powerful statements about wealth and, and unrighteous wealth. I want to say that one more time. Money is neutral, right? Things are neutral. But Jesus is saying, don't look away. They will take over your life. In a heartbeat, they will become your first love. And, and those two things, God and any other first love, cannot coexist. Cannot serve God and things and money. Well, if there's unrighteous wealth, there must be this thing called righteous wealth as well. And there's some hints in here. And this is a lot of Dave right here as I looked at it. If there is, if there is unrighteous wealth, what is righteous wealth? Well, real quickly, honesty, right? The whole parable on the start of Luke 16 is about someone who was dishonest and trying to make a nest for himself. Jesus says, one who's dishonest with very little will be dishonest in much as well. You say, well, I don't have a lot of resources. I don't have a lot of assets. Well, you have this one. You can have this one. Because you don't have honesty. I can't tell you how many times in premarital counseling, if you don't have honesty, you have nothing. Amen? Everything else goes out the window. You think you have a whole lot of things, but if you don't have honesty, then you don't know that those are really there. Jesus, again, pulls it out from the other way, the other side. says, if you're dishonest with little, you're going to be dishonest with much. Honesty is a righteous wealth that no one can take away. Faithfulness is a righteous wealth. One who is faithful, he says in the same verse, with very little is also faithful with much. But I don't have what everybody else has. God does not matter does not matter. You be faithful with what little you have. You be faithful in the things that you give your affections to. You be faithful with your time, your treasure, and your talents. Be faithful in little. Because God says, you'll be faithful in much. So we see, we see righteous wealth as honesty and faithfulness, right? Faithfulness with money, even unrighteous wealth. If you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? Now, he's, he's kind of taking us beyond now, not, not massive riches. He's not talking about more unrighteous wealth. He's talking about righteous wealth, true riches. And if you've not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So not only with unrighteous wealth, with mammon, with money, but also with what is another's. Doug and Kim, you're going to be you're going to be meeting um, a whole series of teachers. I know the bulk of your energies will be poured into them. You're going to be given an opportunity to to, um, to invest and 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 be a good steward of this treasure of what is another teachers, cafeteria people. Those of us who are still working, even more so, those of us who are Retire now and have more leisure time. Are you being faithful with this gift that God has given you? Wow. So we've seen powerful statements about wealth. We're seeing also powerful statements about eternity. About eternity. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell, being in Torment. What is what is Jesus saying? 
not popular in modern culture. And you'll face pressure sometimes when you're talking with other people. Everyone believes in heaven. Very few people believe in hell. Jesus is clearly speaking about an eternal place of separation from him where people are in torment. There is a hell, beloved, and it is a place of eternal torment. Mm. And people that you know, people that you love, people that you work with, people with us in this room, people watching online, if nothing changes, we're hiding there. We're hiding there. And we don't care. We don't respond. We don't cry out for one another. This parable has powerful statements about eternity. I don't want to diminish that magnitude of what I just said one bit. But I do want to add another dimension to it. And that is this, that choices that you make on earth affect your eternity. In this, in this case of the parable, the choices that he made every day when he walked by that guy at his gate, right? Every day when he put on his linen underwear, that's actually the implication. I told you I didn't have time to go into that, but, but he's got the nicest underwear. He's got Egyptian cotton underwear, right? And, uh, and he's got purple robes and he puts those purple robes on every day and he has a feast every day, even on days like the Sabbath when he shouldn't. He has a feast. Why? Because he wants people to know how wealthy he is, right? Every day he made choices. And beloved, every day you and I make choices that affect our eternity and the eternities of those around us. And that is very bad news for some. Like this rich man, it's very bad news. But it's very good news for everyone what? Was I sleeping? People going to hell is very good news for everyone? No. No. The opportunity to make choices on earth that affect eternity is very good news for everyone, even if up until this very moment you've never recognized God's sovereignty in your life. You've never recognized the love of Jesus in your life. Even at, up to this very moment you've never said, um, God, I believe you exist. I surrender my life to you. The opportunity is still here. The opportunity to live differently is still here. So it's a choice about about wealth. It's a choice about eternity, but it's also a choice about repentance. It's so ironic that the man made three demands on Abraham, right? For sin, this man who even in heaven somehow is a lower class than me, send him to dip his finger in water. No, it's not going to happen. Well, send him at least to be a message boy to my brothers, right? So that they won't have to suffer. No, not going to happen. Can't happen. Well, then, then somehow, somehow God bridged this gap that is existing between my eternity and Lazarus' eternity. And God says that can only happen on earth. Beloved, call on the Lord while he is near. 
There's no opportunity for repentance after this life. There's not, um, uh, forgive me if I'm stepping on toes, there's not a purgatory where someone can pray you out of it. There's, that, that's not a biblical concept. There's not a, there's not a place where you can somehow cycle again, maybe as a grasshopper, and somehow live a better life, right? Not gonna happen. That's false. There's no opportunity for repentance after this life. Now is the acceptable time. Now pray with me, would you? Forgive us, God, all of us, for for taking so much for granted. Forgive us for exalting things that were temporal, God, and had no eternal value. If anything, distracted ourselves and others from things that were important. Thank you, God. Thank you for Jesus. That he came to redeem the lost and the least and the last. He came and gave his life so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not go to hell. Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God, I pray for those who still are on the fence. Or for those who today recognize they've been playing Christian but have never surrendered the throne of their life to Jesus. I pray that you would grant us the courage to do that right now. Jesus, you would hear our cry. Forgive us our sins, for they are many. We trust, Jesus, that your work on the cross was sufficient for us. We trust, God, your word that says that if we put our faith in what Jesus has done, in the way, the truth, and the life. We will not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, Jesus, we receive you now. And thank you in Christ's precious name. Amen. Whether you're on the internet or whether you're here in the room, if you've done that today, If you've surrendered your life to Christ or for many of us re-surrendered your life, you recognize that you got off the path, it's really important that you tell somebody today. Let that person pray for you. Not that there's any magic in their prayer for you, but, but it's very important to drive a stake in the ground and say, from this day forward, I'm going to live differently, right? I rejoice with you. I rejoice with you in this new life that we're going to share forever. Let me just add one additional thought. It's a, it's a powerful statement about God's word. In Luke 16, verses 16 through 17, it says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. So now we've got the New Testament, the gospel added to the law and the prophets, right? It's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot, one serif, one Tittle, depending on which version you grew up on, uh, one smallest portion of the letter to be passed away, to become void. So note that it's the only, note this truth, the only call to repentance offered to us is in the witness of Scripture. So if you were at the place today where you heard my call for repentance, but, but the Holy Spirit wasn't prompting you to do that, you're saying, what do I do? I, I with integrity, I can't, make a commitment that I know is not coming from my heart, then just immerse yourself in Scripture. Immerse yourself in God's Word. Let God's Word speak to you. 
And then let his Holy Spirit prompt you and remind you, Scripture is enough. Moses, the prophets and the gospel are enough. I don't know if you noticed it, but Dives asked for a, a spiritual revelation. Raise somebody from the dead, right? And he will, by the way. He'll raise Lazarus and he'll raise Jesus from the dead. But right here, Abraham tells you, you know what? God does not owe you a spiritual a supernatural visitation. He has given you everything you need right here. Immerse yourself in it. Immerse yourself in it. So these have been stories that reveal the nature of God's heart and of our heart. They've been stories that contain powerful statements, powerful truths, but they're also stories that invite us to respond. Repent. Make a change of heart, which leads to a change of action, right? Turn from your self-justification, from your self-exalting ways, and turn to God, right? As we saw last week, be rich towards God. Repent, but be rich towards God. Use unrighteous wealth, as, as the first parable in Luke 16, to prepare the way, right? You can't take it with you, Amen. But you can send it on ahead. You can invest it in things that bring about spiritual realities. You can invest it in the kingdom of God, right? Be rich towards God. Tithe of the first fruits of your wealth. But be rich also toward the people that are at your gate, toward the students, toward the, toward the, um, toward the uh, Tunisians, toward the, toward the people that you pass every day. Be rich toward the needy, the last, the least, and the lost. So be rich toward God, but also sacrificially and compassionately give of your time and your treasure and your talents to those the Spirit lays on your heart. Open your eyes to those who are right before you and start with them. Worship team, come on up if you would. Um, Thank you so much for going along with me today. You know, our problem is not, for many of us, our problem is not that, that we overestimate the world. The problem, our problem is that we underestimate God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, speaking of this, says, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man even imagined. In other words, what God has prepared for those who love him, Right? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even not just the depths of a human heart, even the depths of God. You cannot imagine what God has in store for you. Right? You cannot imagine it. No eyes seen, no ear has heard. But God is revealing it to you today. What will you do? What will you do with the truths that you've heard today?